This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another season of Driven by Data, the podcast, powered by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. So here we are, season three of Driven by Data, the podcast. I'm delighted that you've decided to tune in and rejoin us. We've got some absolutely fantastic content coming your way. So all that's left to say is sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, season three. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Benny Benford, who is a CDO currently in transition on a bit of a career break, but um, most people will know him from his time as the chief data officer at uh, JLR, uh, where he's not too long departed. So, Benny, thank you very much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. No, it's all right. I'm looking forward to this. Um, so where we always start, Benny, is by asking uh, our guests to give themselves a, a brief introduction into their background and, I guess, journey up until this point, if uh, if you'd be so kind. Sure. So my background, uh, we start off, I started operational research at university, um, took a bit of time out. Then I started the professional work world, as it were, and was a bit confused because I kind of thought what I'd learned at university uh, seemed, seemed bizarrely high tech compared to what I was doing at work. Um, and that's really what's motivated me. So I started off in restructuring and in, in consulting, um, but asked around and got an opportunity to, to work with the data team who are doing things a bit more familiar the, the, with what I'd studied at university. Um, then got the opportunity to start up the Midlands data practice, which was brilliant. Back then it was all around tactical BI, but got frustrated really wanted to, to see what data could do at scale. And it's hard to do that as a consultant unless you're a better salesman than I am because every time you've got an idea, you've got a picture. Um, <laughs> so looked for a, an opportunity to transition um, and got lucky, really. I got an opportunity to meet the person who's just made CEO at, at JLR, was deputy CFO when I met him uh, and was looking to start up a data team. Got persuaded to, to take it seriously because I'm really not interested in cars. Um, but he's a really interesting guy and ended up being the best career sponsor I've had and joined the team with an open goal. Let's see what data can do. Can we start up a data team? Um, a couple of years in, the data team was getting value and had another interesting conversation with him, which was, well, we've got value from this team. Can we get value from data across the whole organization in the same way? Um, and that's what I spent most of my time at JLR focusing on is that definition of data transformation. Can we get the whole of the organization to act a bit like a central data team would do. Um, and then recently, uh, as you said, took a career break. A um, couple of reasons for that, became a dad. So the joke with my friends is I've gone from chief data officer to chief daddy officer. <laughs> and um, I also pretty much achieved what I wanted to at JLR, literally down to uh, on the second last day, met with the sponsor, took the original team mission statement and got it signed off as mission complete. So I achieved what I wanted to do there and, and now on a little bit of a break and working out what I do next. Nice, nice. Well, look, there's there's so much in here that I'm kind of really excited to to unpack because I know that JLR as a as a case study, as it were, has been, you know, one of the one of the most prominent across the industry, especially here in the UK, right? As a, as a big success story in terms of what you can achieve if you get it right. So I'm keen to unpack all of all of that. Just talk us through very high level, kind of the 
the career trajectory that you had at JLR, like where you entered and then where you left. And I guess, you know, what that, you talked about that mission there. Just talk us through what that was. You know, what, what did you go in there to, to achieve once that kind of mission was uh, was kind of formulated? So I went in, the, um, uh, the stakeholder, Adrian, was deputy CFO, but was moving into role as chief transformation officer and wanted someone to set up a data team to support transformation. Um, the f- I went in as a, as a senior manager for data, um, very quickly realized the size of the challenge that wouldn't work and persuaded something that I encouraged more people to do actually said, look, um, I might not be ready for, for director yet, but we definitely need more senior managers. So immediately expanded the remit of the team and got some peers in to help help take on the challenge. And the original statement, um, he gave us uh, a, a challenge. And I think this is why JLR ended up doing stuff different. We had a stakeholder that really challenged us and gave us uh, coverage to do what we needed to do to achieve it. Said, well, I don't understand what the point of data is. Uh, can we get value out of it? And can we get a million of value per team member per year? And that's that was the mission statement for the team. Um, mm-hmm. And to be honest, I didn't think it was necessarily achievable but it was worth a go. Um, and every time we had a discussion about it, kind of, well, why not? In, in theory, we can make decisions which produce that type of value. So that that was the original goal. Um, then you know, as the team grew and we had a bigger structure, we had I got peers brought in to lead data science and everything. My role transitioned more to, can we transform the rest of the organization to, to change decision-making in the same way? And for about three years, I kind of thought of my role as chief evangelist. There wasn't support for top-down change, really structuring teams and changing the company. So get everyone excited about data, bring in tools, uh, get it talked about in the newsletters, build up champions networks. Um, Then we got a new CEO who was really wanted to pick up the pace and um, was interested in forming a data office. And everything I'd done around engaging the whole organization, building up champions networks, uh, provided that opportunity to, to move and be JLR's first chief data officer. And take on things that were entirely unfamiliar, like data governance, um, as new challenges. Um, so yeah, that's that's the journey in a in a whistle, I guess. Yeah, nice, really interesting. I guess one thing just kind of jumped to my mind as you were talking there, Benny, was um, you know the reporting lines and structures often get spoken about, right? But I guess the whole um, the whole conversation around appetite and buy-in, um, do you consider yourself kind of fortunate that you had a sponsor that was keen to kind of start, you know, start moving forward with data and also transitioning into a transformational role themselves at that point in time? Because I guess what a lot of people struggle with is getting that buy-in, getting that sponsorship, you know, for, for a stakeholder to turn around and say, Let's go and get value out of data. And is it possible to get a million quids worth per per person in the team? You know, that's that's a really interesting start, starting point. Whereas most people are kind of battling from the get go, right, to kind of get that buy in, get that interest, etc. Uh, yes, fortunate um, to some extent made the fortune. I I was frustrated as you know everyone is before they move roles at KPMG for a while before I took this role and spent a long time looking and said no to a lot of propositions, including actually about nine months before I took that role at JLR, I said no to a different role at JLR. Um, I think you've got to wait for the right opportunity. And um, I'm, to the extent I'm doing the same thing I'm doing now, there's, uh, as I'm starting to look at the market again, um, I've said no to a couple of opportunities for the same reason. If you've not got the right conditions, um, it's not worth the effort in my world. 
you've looked for the opportunity, challenge the organization. I think I could have done that better when I moved to CDO. Uh, we'll talk about that a bit more, but certainly when you're external to a company and looking at roles, you've you can wait for the right role and you've got leverage to discuss what you need to do mm. to uh, to achieve what they're looking for. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, I guess the the topic of um, kind of getting value from data and kind of monetizing it, if we want to call it that, and the whole, you know, conversation around the return on the investment and all of that type of stuff seems to kind of divide and conquer amongst the data community. You know, you have people on one hand saying it's it's impossible to do this. Then you have use cases like yours that are very clearly being able to put tangible commercial figures on the return of, of the initiatives that the data team has, has done. Um, just talk us through that process around how you ensure that the team was constantly in the realms of delivering value and kind of how you quantified that and, and kind of, you know, what just what that process looked like. I think the reason people uh, find this challenging is data really doesn't go far enough down the value chain to deliver value by itself. And so if you see your responsibilities as stopping with with your immediate activities, whether that's ingestion and sourcing out a data warehouse or producing a BI report, then it's hard to associate that with value because it doesn't produce value by itself. The the opportunity we had and and, and where we... um, approach things differently. First, there was a prioritization process for all work that came in to say why and what's it valued. A lot of teams don't have that remit. Again, the sponsor was key for that. I can't imagine there will be many business sponsors out there that if you asked as a team, would you be happy for us to decline work that had zero value, would say, no, I don't want you to do that. I want you to do zero value work. So I'd encourage everyone to look at setting up that kind of process. So we had a process to engage. And then you really form a tension between yourself and the business because some ideas the business have are interesting, but it's not immediately obvious what value they have. Um, And other ideas, it's obvious the value, but it's not necessarily how it translates. So produce a a new forecast for vehicle volumes, one of the um, higher return projects that's been spoken about externally. It's not immediately obvious what you do with that. If you've got a buy-in from the sales teams to try and use that to drive down stock, uh, stock levels, then that's a metric because you, your stock levels are measurable. A lot of cash gets trapped up in stock. Um, and the what I'd really encourage people to do, we were lucky to be in a transformation team, is if you've got a transformation team in your business, link in with them, and they will be the engine for making sure that some of the change happens. It's it's really hard to be the team that's both doing the technical work and trying to drive the change and drive new processes, deploy things. But if you're not doing that, uh, we've all seen it with BI. There's loads of BI reports that get produced and aren't used and people don't know what they're for. You've got to challenge people and, and have uh, your sponsor saying, only do work if you know what it's for, and then agree a metric that measures value. So it's for this purpose, and then we'll measure that and we'll measure the improvement. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Is is a part of this um, process kind of an allocation issue do you think often in organizations in terms of as you said the data whatever you do with it itself doesn't doesn't drive value right a a decision needs to be made an action needs to be taken and often you know i think many conversations i've had on this podcast if a data team helps a sales team to generate 10 million pound more in sales of a particular product well obviously the sales team also wants some credit for that right so it's kind of like getting that balance right How, how did you address that kind of um that challenge so we had um a, a rough heuristic so if 
the what the data team had done was just an enabler and nothing more happened, like loading data up and making a database available, 10% of value. If it's 50-50 delivery, 50% of value. In a rare circumstance, the automated decision-making process and you're deploying the solution and doing all the change, 100% of value. These the went through a lot of different transformation programs in, in the time there. And a phrase that got used a lot when talking about measuring value is the goal is to feed the pig, not weigh the pig. So if we come up with a measurement system that men, means we spend more time debating how we're calculating things and who's getting what, then the system fails. So don't worry about precision. Um, and the other thing, which is uncomfortable, but if you want stakeholders to believe the value, is to get a, a independent party to be involved in the process for approving it. Uh, at different times, it was an internal audit team, it was finance, but that accountability really, really helps. Um, it's not always comfortable, uh, but it means when you're reporting the value to board, you then go, this has been signed off by X. You've got that additional checks and balance in place. But it, I think it's a mindset shift not just for data teams, and this is why data teams struggle. I don't think the majority of business stakeholders associate data with value. And that's mm. that's the challenge. Um, it's, it's the big culture shift that needs to happen. They just want data to give them a report. They Therefore, the, the, the change and challenge isn't just with the data team, it's with the business. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, um, that's interesting, isn't it? Because I guess that we're getting into so many topics now where, you know, I guess the question that obviously comes to my mind when you have these types of discussions, and I completely agree with you, by the way, the, the you know, the value of what building this data team and having them do it, deliver all these projects, what does that actually um, add? But the same in the same breath, we're also then talking about, you know, CEOs and CFOs kind of now coming to the table with their handout saying okay what are we getting for this so it's kind of this really odd odd kind of climate if you know for, for want of a better phrase that we've we've kind of created for for ourselves right i agree um i'm surprised at some of the work people have got permission to do before the value case and i think that's where that happens um so back to my consulting days I remember a client that invested a lot in uh, a single view solution uh, around data and towards the end of the program was looking at use cases. That's very odd in, in, mm. in my humble opinion. And I think that has happened. The excitement around cloud and the modern data stack, the, the single view of data stories, you know, that's more the noughties and nineties uh, where we are now, people have got excited about data stacks and cloud and get everything on the cloud. And then they're asking for the value. You should have asked for it at the front. You're going to have difficulty and you're going to need to be honest that we've spent a lot of money getting data in and a bunch of this won't be needed. You can't get you can't get any data solution right without having a use case in mind. So trying to get back to a single view, you can never get a single view of data right without your use cases defined because you've not got quality measures and it, you're trying to perfect something. So I'm trying to create a dictionary. It, it's too academic. Business shouldn't be academic. Um, and then similarly today, you can't ingest the right data and get the right warehouses set up for the business and have the right stack without knowing what the use cases are. You'll end up investing too much in functionality that's not needed. And then your first use case will come in and and really frustrate everyone because it wasn't actually set up to deliver against the first use case. So I think that's what's happened. And I think 
And one of my, um, I guess, more controversial criticism of the, the data sector, I think it's too led by the tech sector. All of the, the thought leadership comes from the tech companies who are obviously interested in selling their technology. So obviously there's been huge amounts of literature that talks about the benefits of moving to the cloud. And people have kind of just swallowed that pearl and gone, we'll move to the cloud, but haven't said why. And yeah, surprise, surprise, moving to the cloud doesn't give you any value. Mm. Doing something, having moved to the cloud, gives you more agility to do things. So yeah, I think, yeah, people will have challenges, but who's to blame? Uh, that CFO or CEO who's frustrated signed off on a project without asking what it was for. They, mm. They've got accountability there as well. 100%, yeah. No, I mean, I think there's, there's obviously, you know, many variables to this but you know i mean i've sat i've sat in in many a meeting benny and kind of you know tried to talk business leaders out of the fact that they don't need to build a, a team of data scientists at this point in time you know a lot of yeah. this was kind of fueled by oh well you know we've heard this great story about this company that had this big ai project that was a massive success and well, we're not doing AI, but we should be, you know. So they just jump feet first into trying to keep up with what they think the expectations of them should be, if, if that makes sense, which is uh is really fascinating. And then you get into this, you know, th this exact situation then where they've invested a lot of money, they've built a lot of you know different platforms and brought in a lot of tools and built a big team, and then everyone's sat scratching their head looking at each other um when the CEO comes <laughs> comes asking, okay, and you know, what, what ROI have we got from this? Um, but as you said, it's not, it's very rarely strategized at the start of that yeah. of that project as to what the reason we're even doing this for and obviously you know many solutions have been built that have probably probably fantastic solutions right they're just the solutions to the wrong problem or you know a solution that's not needed at this time it doesn't serve a, a purpose internally within that that business so i guess question for you then now is how did you go through the process of identifying and prioritizing which things were going to add value and how did you kind of quantify what that looked like um so it was for every single project. We had a process that um, which is another member of the team led, uh, Richard Bovey, you know as well, called mm -hmm. a problem structuring um, authority that appeared before a technical design authority that asked the business and the data team, what is the intended use case? And do we have everything in place to be able to deliver that use case? So for example, um, making some hypothetical uh scenarios rather good to real ones I did post the other day imagine that um the CFO wanted some analysis around the right uh, products to be taking to a uh, to a to a retailer and the data scientists came up with an algorithm and absolutely suggested we can improve the stock that we're selling of let's just make it confectionery in all of these these shops around the the, the UK and, and Europe and then you meet the chief commercial officer and the chief commercial officer goes, great, this is an amazing algorithm, but I really believe in autonomy and every individual shopkeeper needs to be able to make the decision about what their own stock is. Suddenly the data science team, unknowingly having made an amazing algorithm, realizes that the amount of business change is much higher because in order to deploy the algorithm, every shopkeeper in every region needs to approve it. And therefore you're going to need much more BI and storytelling to convince people you're going to need a whole team of people to that to engage with all of the shopkeepers and probably the regional managers. It's a hypothetical example, but hopefully people will attach to it. A lot of time, people don't ask. The technical design authority is up there to ask up front, do we know that 
the problem that we're solving for is technically solvable and that we're going to approach this in a way that is robust, doesn't have technical debt, repeatable, all of those good things. There isn't a process in most businesses to say, do we have everything in place to deliver all of the business changes needed to get value out of this technical solution? It, it is something that scares me a little bit, but I'm starting to ask comparisons for because I've never wanted to go anywhere near ERP projects. But if you look at ERP projects, they have massive change forums in place that involve all of the functions that are associated to make sure all of the teams whose processes are changing are aware that they've got people to help retrain retrain those teams. That whole side of business change um, and that those teams within finance, within purchasing that are responsible for the ERP are 100% dedicated to the project and to support the project until the ERP finishes. And then you look at a data science algorithm, which might uh, automate a major decision within a business, like a recommendation algorithm. There's no equivalent, but it is the same level of change. All of the functions are going to need to change their processes to take advantage of this new automated decision making. But there aren't teams set up to do the change management to redefine the processes. I think we could learn a lot from some more traditional practices like implementing systems. Um, I think... Uh, I've kind of gone off piece with your question a little bit, but yeah, they, I think people underestimate the level of change needed to get value, and and there's no process to ask for that up front. Mm, yeah, no, absolutely makes makes sense. Uh, so I guess in in terms of the process that you followed, then was that because you talked about before, you know, ten percent of value, fifty percent of value, hundred yeah. percent of value, depending upon um, the the input, I guess, uh, in terms of what what you and your team what we're doing and or delivering against was that kind of something that was agreed up front and then was the kind of a, a flow through of that in terms of you know how you prioritized which use cases got the nod over others yeah and the, the process that we used to do this obviously kept evolving and kept changing the more attention the team got the more stakeholders the more transparent it had to be but essentially it's the ability to say what are all the projects you're working on What's the anticipated value metric? And do, and do we have everything in place to deliver the change? What's the attributable value we're going to get? So you can forecast. We're a data team. We should be able to forecast what's happening. Um, and then regularly reviewing that because it is complicated. Things do change. And you do need the ability to, hurt, to press the kill switch and go, this project's turned out to be more complicated than we thought. Uh, we actually can't produce a predictive algorithm in this place. The, the, the business strategy has changed. We no longer need to drive that metric and having a regular process to, to pull that, the handle. Um, the We never ended up with something as simple as this, uh, but the suggestion I'd make is everything should run off QBRs and you should never be able to commit to a resource to do work that lasts longer than a quarter. So at the QBR point, every team should be able to stop and you either cancel the project or you commit for another quarter. That, the other advantage of that is it helps you identify maybe 60% good enough is good enough because you've realized it's 60% complete, that you're going to get 90% of the value. So you don't need to do 40% more work. You've got a, a point to stop. Uh, obviously, that's a bit simplified. But that mm -hmm. kind of that regular process of reporting all of your projects, resource working on them, projected value, how far away you are, and regularly reviewing that, getting a business stakeholder to agree their responsibilities it's key. The the more accountability you can get, I think the more uh, value you will drive. The harder it becomes as well. Um, but in the 
ultimate example, you you should take your highest value projects and try and get them men- mentioned in the notes that go out to shareholders. Because then the market's expecting it. Then you've got real accountability and then the business will absolutely go and drive the results. But, you know, level below that, make sure the board are aware. Level below that, the board members. The more you've got people interested in the project, the more people will be aware of it and telling their teams, are you ready for this? Um, you can't just keep it in a silo. Yeah, 100%. I'm keen to, to dig into that, I guess, um, before we do that. In term, you, you talked about earlier, you know, you landed under the you know in in the transformation organization and then it kind of scaled across the enterprise just just give us a high level kind of you know bird's eye view of of what that looked like in terms of the initial engagement and then how you wrapped your arms around the entire organization people and structure that type of thing yeah Yeah. and i guess just the 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 journey more generally because i'm always you know fascinated by um as an example you know where do you start in that situation, right? You know, you kind of sit there going, okay, well, let's do this across the enterprise. And it's like, well, bloody hell, look at the size of our our business, right? And I, and I know you're going to say, obviously, you'd do it on yeah. cases that add the most value and blah, blah, blah. So this is where I think you actually need two, two independent efforts and strategies going on. You can't just rely on your project strategy. So your project strategy deploys most of the team. So our first team is 40 people. Roughly 50% of them are graduates. It's a brilliant way to be bringing in energy and new ideas. And uh, I guess 80, 90% of that were working on projects. Then there was a small team dedicated to what we call program, which was how do we change the rest of the business? I think where a lot of companies struggle on the broader transformation is changing the rest of the business is actually work that people don't anticipate. It's not... You can't just ask the data scientist and the analyst to run a guild in their spare time, and that's sufficient. It's it's dedicated work that requires a little bit of different uh, skill set. So we had a small program team, which was the team that I ran. And I mean, being really honest about this, when I agreed to move and move my responsibilities to changing to the rest of the organization, I had a conversation with the CFO to say, look, this is, this is an interesting goal. I really like this goal. I don't have a clue how we're going to do it. Um, and, uh, we, we, was like, well, it's fine was, was his response. We both know it's worth doing, and I'm sure you'll, you'll find a reasonable way to start this. We started with a survey. Um, we didn't understand the problem. I'm a data person. So we got buy-in from corporate comms to send out a survey to the whole organization. How are you using data? What are you using it for? What is holding you back from getting more value from data? Do you have any ideas about how you can get value from data in your area? And that revealed to us that at the time, the community felt that the biggest gap was the majority of teams didn't have access to skilled people. So that gave us somewhere to start. Okay, you weren't telling us it was a technology problem. You weren't telling us it was a data problem. You want skills. Uh, And what we set up was was a champions program. This was back in 2018. Uh, Again, broadcast out to the organization. Let us know if you want to be a data champion. Ran a series of, uh, of teams meetings for for both managers and and the people who wanted to be data champions to explain to the managers why it was worth allow them allowing their team members to spend some time on this, um, and to individuals what would be good for their careers. And we had no budget other than three or four people at this point. So uh, the kickoff event when we had 180 champions across all functions uh, and all geographies, so some people were dialing in uh, virtually. I uh, gave a talk about um, some extreme examples of how people have have learned skills by themselves. 
by forming learning groups and that we were going to give them access to e-learning. We were going to give them tools, Tableau, Rapid Miner for data science uh, and GCP. And then we were going to give them the occasional broadcast event but and set them goals, but they would form units to train each other. I think you can do that with the first cohort because they're all people who are really keen and will learn in their own time. Uh, we got some amazing stories out of that where uh, on the extreme end, one of the great highlights, someone said, I hadn't been promoted in the last eight years. I've had two promotions in the last 18 months because of the skills that I've got off this. There are lots of people out there who want to learn. Uh, and then again, simplifying it slightly, they all start doing projects that add value. You can't measure it completely. What we agreed was to sample it. So again, by surveys, tell us what you're doing. The largest projects would go out and get assurance from the manager. Yes, we're getting this type of value and we could report it back. And then occasionally you get projects identified by the community that are so value adding and so complex that you go, okay, the, the project team needs to get involved and we need to help out with that. Uh, and the point that I would stress to, to people about this approach is two things. Data is relevant everywhere. It's relevant in HR. It's relevant in mechanical engineering. It's relevant in purchasing. And no one can centrally identify what the best opportunities are. So by building this type of network, you get some amazing ideas coming in that we would never have thought of um, using data to improve calibration of engines. I'd never have thought of that centrally. And then you work with that. So that was all 2018. Um, uh, 2019 led to uh, this isn't going to go far enough. We need to restructure. We can't uh, just giving individuals skills isn't enough. You need to have teams. Uh, teams, a team of five people will achieve much more than five teams of one people because you get you know, data engineers, data scientists starting to specialize. And that formed a real, real blocking point. And we got stuck on that for a long time because it was asking for quite big change. We did a strategy paper where we went through every function and said, what are your biggest opportunities in data to try and value the size, the opportunity and had another uh, very fond memory where we went to the board and said, we think data is worth 1.2 billion per year. If we delivered everything that was possible, clearly we can't deliver everything, but you need to wake up to this, but your teams can't deliver it right now. And we never got a big bang moment where it was like, okay, go, go form a team in each function. But that whole story of regularly doing champions, explaining to people about teams, sending out the messages, more and more directors took initiative in the functions and did form what we call a spoke, form their own local team. And probably by the time I left, 80% of functions had a, their own spoke and some of them had more mm. than one spoke. And it, it, the constant messaging, the constant repeating, and eventually we did get funding to, to, to really help people train. Um, 700 people by the time I left were on a data apprenticeship program, which is uh, by our estimates, about 15 to 17% of all data apprentices in the UK. But it, it wasn't there at the start. It starts off, get people excited, get them in groups, broadcast success stories, build momentum, and eventually show that you need investment and the investment will have returns. You can do a lot for free. Yeah, 100%. But what always fascinates me, Benny, is that um, of all of the kind of success stories that, that we've seen in terms of organizations being able to come back and say, you know, we've generated x amount of pounds dollars whatever from from getting value from data i reckon nearly all of them 
that especially that we've had on this podcast um, have talked in some way, shape or form about having some kind of communications strategy and initiative. Um, How how important and integral do you think that was to kind of, you know, leading you down the path towards success? I know there's many other factors, of course, um, but. Really important. Um, We didn't think about it in the first team. So when we got permission to build a team of 40, we recruited 40 data people which logically sounds like the right thing to do for a data team, but is really not the right thing to do. You need different skill sets. And that was definitely one of the bigger lessons I've learned. So when I got um, signed off to well, to form a data office and made CDO, a third of the team were what we called a data adoption enablement team. And the person we brought in to, to run that team had okay, very early on in her career, she'd been an analyst, but most of her career she'd spent on change management. Um, and doing big change programs like rolling out 0365 across companies and brought in an entirely different experience and skill set. Uh, I, I think it's essential. Um, we really need more diversity in in the skills to drive major major change programs. And that that success story, uh, that drumbeat gets everyone in the organization going. Uh, you need support from the board to do that as well. And it's a relatively easy request. I think I certainly struggled earlier in my career when I met board members to think, well, what's the request that I can ask them to do? They're very time poor. It's very easy to ask them to to use their comms channels to uh, celebrate successes. And it's a very, very powerful thing to do it It, when people say Charlotte in in purchasing has been held up as success for what she's done by their board member. It creates that example that everyone else follows. But yeah, the comms is is essential. Um, it's the biggest part of change. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And and obviously, I love the the focus around the diversity of kind of skills and experience, and I guess thought ultimately is what it is, right? Diversity mm. of thought in terms of how you how you tackle these problems. Because I think you're absolutely right. I'd say you know the large majority of data teams are built with data people um, and that's probably why we find ourselves in this situation right because then the whole change management piece kind of comes to fruition once we've realized and gone <laughs> no one's using this stuff we, we we should have thought about this at the start but we've not so you know yeah. and uh but i think more people and, and organizations are waking up to the fact that if you can get that you know more rounded um, skill and experience into your team from the start there's more likely that adoption occurs and you start to you know unravel all of that thing around literacy and culture and everything that that, that comes that comes to that um i know from some of the stuff that you speak about online you know there's this notion of um a value focused data culture just talk us through that and, and i guess um you know you've already alluded to some of the stuff that you were doing that started to kind of hold up champions that you know that in, in of itself i'm sure started to kind of shine the spotlight on you know what data could do and and kind of you know start moving the culture towards being a little bit more data driven for for want of a better word but what was there any kind of key focus on you know that that value focused data culture and how you underpinned all of that a really simple metric we used so i'd really encourage everyone to do an annual survey of their organization uh, about data and a really simple metric um, was what is data used for in your area? And it, the, you know, the answers remembering off the top of my head were uh, we don't use data. It's used for reporting. It's used for efficiencies. It's used to improve profit, to, to find revenue opportunities, to improve customer satisfaction, things like that. 
um, without going into the the numbers, I can even remember them specifically. I was really surprised the first year we did it how many people said data's for reporting. That's not for something. That's that's a starting point. What's it for? What's its purpose? A report isn't for something. And I, I think the value culture is 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 really as simple as that. It's when someone, whether it's a, a director asking for some work to be done, mm-hmm. um, an analyst who's asked to do something, do they know what it's for? And if the answer is it's for a report, even if the answer is it's for the CEO, that's not a valid answer. That's not a purpose. But they need to know the purpose. Uh, and it gives there's multiple benefits to this. It helps you to stop work that doesn't add value because gets people to question things. Um, hopefully you give your analysts something we tried at JLR through comms was to encourage analysts to say no to work if they didn't know what it was for. And in second, it um, if the analyst is aware of what something's for, they might find a better way of achieving that aim than the original stakeholder because they can see things from a different perspective because they've got the data and they can query things in different ways. And I think you know you can look at data culture in all sorts of ways, but that the fundamental thing is just what do people think data is for? And if they think it's for reports and for individuals, that's not value adding. If they think it's for, and the for might vary massively. It might be for an HR team improving employee satisfaction. That's a perfectly valid measure, but it needs to be an outcome that uh, at board level someone would agree that's a metric that we need to be improving. Hmm. I couldn't agree more. I think I've had this conversation numerous times. If I think about, um, you know, the, the the wants, needs, and desires of the data community as a whole, especially you know the the, the practitioners, the doers, the people that are doing things day to day, analysts, engineers, scientists, whatever the case may be, um, you know, m- many, and I've said this many a time on this podcast, many kind of have been in situations where they were brought in that the intent was absolutely you know perfect but they just never worked in an environment where um this stuff got used right so Mm. their work was it wasn't visible they didn't feel it was adding any value it didn't have any impact on the business and then you know so so there's almost then a lack of purpose in their day-to-day role because they're doing a project knowing full well the ceo doesn't care it's not you know the business users aren't going to use it it's um and that kind of you know underwhelmed people so people now start to look for environments where it is used where it is valued because they know that their work can then have an impact on on the organization um but the amount of conversations i've had to say you know when you're doing this well you know project lands on your desk you do it off it goes how many times throughout that process did you have context around what you were doing it for who you were doing it for and to your point kind of what what's it for right what is the purpose of you doing this and i reckon and this has obviously got better over over the last you know five years especially but back then i'd say 90 percent of people say yeah no yeah i don't know i had no idea i just got asked to pull some insights out of this yeah. as an example right um so, so it's kind of like they're, they're almost hamstrung from the start because they don't really know what you're trying to achieve so they can you know they can only look at it through the lens of of that what they're seeing and interpreting right rather than what might be there versus what it's going to get used for and what the context is which is is really fascinating because i guess that's kind of what you're you're alluding to right you're getting people in that frame of mind to only be able to take this work on if they know there's what the purpose is behind it so they can effectively do a better job right 
Yeah, and I, I completely agree. And I, I'm really curious how deep it goes. I think a lot of people, even up to director level, don't know what their the purpose of their function is. With businesses have, that have become been around for a while have become process oriented, and they know to execute a process. This is for the sales meeting. This is for this place where we do this. This is how we make this decision. But that's not understanding a fundamental value purpose of an organization. And now technology is coming in and disrupting things. People are insisting on using processes and ways of thinking that were defined historically without really going back and going, what's our business for? How do we add value to our customers? How could we do this even better? You really see it when when new technology comes in. Um, the classic example is you roll out a, a Power BI or a Tableau. The number of people who go, can I have what I had in Excel in this, please? <laughs> why bother literally yeah. what, what's the point it's but i think it's really ingrained organizations have forgotten organizations that have been around for a long while are ingrained around process adherence not innovation and, and innovation a culture you need for continually questioning why but that's a big cultural change and it asks the question of something i really struggled with as uh, as a data transformation lead and, and then CDO was where does the responsibility of the data team end? So trying to get everyone to use data differently, of course, trying to get everyone to think differently about the organizational purpose. I mean, that's a big ask for a data team. But, but if you want to drive value, eventually you hit some of those questions. And it, I don't know the answer. It's an interesting question. Mm. Yeah. Well, we'd probably be here for about three hours debating <laughs> debating that one. Um, I guess just conscious of time, but to kind of finish up, what I think would be useful is um, obviously, you know, as we've discussed at the top of the top of this um, conversation, Benny, you know, the whole getting value, quantifying value, being able to articulate that value is is, is a challenge. Um, the challenge often starts before that in terms of actually, um, you know, making the use case for the investment to begin with especially when it's a when it's difficult to you know attribute what the value might potentially be in some of in some yeah. of this stuff so how, how did you go about making the 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 business cases for you know what was obviously going to be a fairly sizable investment to you know return the amount of, of amount of kind of cash benefit that, that you did so i got lucky that i arrived somewhere where the case for there being a data team was, you know, everyone agreed we needed one. Um, it was an interesting time that actually we lost our technology budget in the first year. Automotive was going through a downturn. So we ended up as a, as a data analytics team with people, but no technology budget. And uh, it was a challenge, but I think it really emphasized you don't need big infrastructure investments to, to drive value. A clever data team, a phrase I've started using online a bit in the writing you'll have seen is a good, well-empowered, well-enabled data team can deliver value from an out-of-date tech stack that you don't need even to be on the cloud. You can happily do stuff on desktop PCs with R and Python. You can code the, the lot if you really, really have to. Now, of course, it's more efficient not to, but to anyone who says um, we need a cloud migration plan in order to show value, I completely disagree. All you need is some talented people who they will find a way to extract data from a system, might be manual, might not be as fast, to produce some analysis, which 
helps make a different decision in the business which drives value you can do that for for quite a while before it's becoming um a blocker to value and and it you know it slows it slows value down so i i don't think you need maybe it's a controversial point to make um but i don't think you need massive it infrastructure investment to run a data strategy certainly to get one started and certainly for the first two to three years it's beneficial uh, for sure, but you don't have to have it. It will help you go faster, but you don't have to have it. And there are some advantages to not having it. It will make you think a lot harder. The second you get given a big infrastructure project, you've got uh, you've got opportunity cost, right? So you've 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 got your cloud migration. You've still got the same amount of resource. You've suddenly put fifteen data engineers on shoving data into the cloud. Well, that's not adding any value. So you've got fifteen less people to go and add value because you've accepted an infrastructure project i think it's better to start off without the big infrastructure Mm. that's really interesting because i think you know if you think about the bulk of data analytics projects that are currently you know being run right now the bulk of them are data technology projects right they are infrastructure projects to be gearing businesses up to start getting value from it at some point in time but they're not getting value from it now because they're just building the infrastructure to be able to to do that um and then yeah you know i think but the interesting thing is it still falls under the banner of data right you know so yeah. then the ceo comes back and says well we've just paid x about a million a pound to go to gcp so what we're we getting from this and it's like well hang on we've not actually <laughs> we've not actually started yet um, yeah. so so it's, it's really uh really interesting i guess one thing i did want to touch on because that's probably got to be one of the most unique situations I've ever heard of, that the budget was there to invest in data and people around the data team, but the technology budget was cut. Now, that's not that's normally the opposite way around, right? Could you just give us a, a bit of insight into kind of I mean, it what, was, why that was? It was timing and practicality. The uh, 20, to get my dates right, 2017, the market was turning. Automotive went downhill very quickly, uh, and automotive volumes peaked in, at the end of 2017. So all companies started making cuts, and people saw that coming. Uh, the classic, you know, car com- uh, any company that's been growing for too long gets a bit too profligate with the expenditure. So the people budget had been signed off, um, and we were recruiting. It was hard to turn the tap off. It was very easy to turn around and say, "Do you need the technology budget? Given that there's massive teams out there with technology budgets, use theirs." And um, it's hard to argue against that. Um, if if your aim is to deliver projects, it's part of the it goes down to and something that it would be nice to define better and could be another conversation. What's the difference between analysis and analytics? You can get value from analysis, which can be entirely desktop based and just you know crunching some numbers and saying these are unprofitable products, these are unprofitable customers. We could make. That can give you value. You don't need any tech for that. You can do that in Excel if you want. You can crunch the data. It's not what the purpose of a data analytics team is for sure. But if the purpose is to drive value, that's where you can start. Now, the higher value, I think in most organizations, the highest value thing you can do is eventually find out where you should be deploying some form of recommendation algorithm to automate decisions. And that requires tech and investment. But there's a long journey in most companies to do those things. Uh, I found a blog the other day about, I can't remember how many years it was, but how long it took Netflix to go from their starting point of analysis to having a recommendation algorithm that obviously that's what Netflix is famous for. It took many, many years. 
And I think people are trying to start at the end rather than start with what's proper MVP. Every quarter, you should be saying, what can I do in the next quarter to, to deliver value? And maybe you can assign some of your team, some of your budget to be infrastructure, but the majority should always be delivering value every quarter. If not, you've got to question the purpose of your team. Bit mm. old, maybe, but yeah. So yeah, that's where it came from. But I think it should be normal. Um, I think if I am an accountant for my sins, I think if I ever was a CFO, I would not approve a massive cloud migration plan or a massive infrastructure project. And I'm a person from a data background, um, from a team that didn't show me three to four years of history of delivering value. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Um, well, look, conscious of, of time, Benny, um, be good to kind of hear from you on kind of what's uh, what's next for for you in terms of, you know, more personal career perspective. So I'm still um, thinking this one through, but I'll give the problem statements and where my mind's going. I, I feel frustrated with the data market. It feels like data hasn't matured like IT, let's not like IT, like programming has. So uh, if you look at the programming world, everything's well-defined. You know what the team structures are. You know how you do um, uh, uh, software lifecycle management. That's not the case for data. And it feels like there's a lot of noise in the sector that's actually making it harder to drive value. Uh, and then to really manifest this as a CDO, I didn't think there was any natural partner on the market to help companies do a data transformation. A poll I did on LinkedIn last week finishes this week, uh, at the moment, 80% of people believe that consultants are conflicted and not there to support a data transformation of a company. And that the reason is lots of consultancies have turned around and said they want to sell data services. Fine. But a data transformation is around building up the capability of an organization. If you want to sell data services, you don't really want to support my data transformation, do you? That's certainly something that I experienced. So I want to disrupt that. I don't think there's enough open innovation in the data space. I think if you're uh, in the position I was in and trying to set up data governance for the first time, there should be defined policies that you just take off a wiki and everyone goes, rather than have your governance team spending six weeks creating every policy, which creates no value, they're, they're necessary activities, but we as a data community need to have a, a, a collective area where we define roles, define policies, so we can just focus on value uh, and start to define some of the collateral that you need to run a, the change management of a transformation program so that we can focus on change. And I don't think the consultancies are going to do that. I don't think the tech companies are going to do that. So I'm trying to work out how effectively we can I can take some of the learnings from what I've done at JLR and create a system where it's much more possible for everyone to do data transformations. Um, and disrupt disrupt the market a little bit. Don't know what that would look like. It could look like a could look like another consultancy. It could look like a, a nonprofit. I'm considering in terms of uh, to, to encourage everyone to IP share, or you know, giving up that. I've got big ambitions, but maybe it won't be profitable. Find a find a CEO that really wants to disrupt things and do things differently. But I, I'm interested in change. I don't want to. I've I've done what happened at JLR. There are a bunch of us who, who ran that. Um, don't want to do the same thing again. And I'm frustrated that data is not maturing. So I want to shake things up. Um, if anyone's interested, please, please reach out. I'm, I'm throwing out all sorts of uh, controversial polls like our consultants in our best interest <laughs> on LinkedIn. Um, so yeah, follow me on LinkedIn and join in. But uh, I think data needs to speed up. And uh, at the moment, no one's really representing data people. People are just representing tech, which is not data. 
yeah no i think um obviously you know part and parcel of what we do every day benny you speak to people like yourself and, and the big gap that that i see where the challenge is here is that you know of course organizations would love to get results like the results that you help to deliver at GLR, but equally that's also not what they want because when they go to market they don't look for people like you you know what they look for is someone that has a similar title to you but then you know the shopping list of technology skills is you know python gcp spark kafka whatever and it's kind of like it's everything almost feels a little bit like it's just infrastructure led at this point in time rather than value led which i think is probably when you boil it all down and strip it all back that's why there's a lot of challenge and there's people like yourself out there that have done you know things like what you've delivered that are very frustrated because you know they're having conversations around well we can generate value that's worth x amount of hundreds of millions of pounds um but you're ruling me out on the basis that i've you know not been coding for python for the last 10 years yeah. you know, it's it's, uh, it's a bit crazy really when you think about it but but there you go but look um really appreciate your time thank you so much for for kind of talking us through um you know the whole jlr use case there that's uh really fascinating and uh yeah look forward to staying in touch we'll see you at our event this week and uh, yeah see how the, the the journey unfolds for you over the next few months yeah, I look forward to seeing you later in the week. Thanks again for the chance to talk, Carl. No problem. All right, speak soon. Cheers. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share like and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week. Mm -hmm.